This morning we're going to continue kind of this mini-series that we started last week called God and Government. Um, honestly, uh, some mornings, most mornings, most Sunday mornings, uh, I cannot wait to be able to uh, stand here and, and share a message with you. Uh, but mm, last week and this week, not real excited, to be totally honest. Uh, I told my wife, I said, oh boy, you know, this is... This is just hard. This is difficult because we're living in such a, a divisive time and, and there are so many opinions that fly around. And the last thing I want to do is, is add to that. I know we're all tired of politics. How many, how many can say amen to that, right? And actually, I try to avoid politics in the pulpit whenever I can because I know just how divisive it could be. However, it is it's part of our lives, and uh, oftentimes the world of politics and, and religion, they, they intersect. They intersect, and when they do, then I feel compelled, obligated even, before God to, to speak to some things. And so we're going to do that today, and uh, hopefully after this week, uh, we, we have an election. We pray that it will be peaceful. Um, and that uh, it'll be resolved quickly, and then uh, we can move on with our lives and continue to pray for whoever our new president is, whoever our new leaders are, and, and pray that God would uh, have a hold of their hearts, no matter uh, whether it's Biden or Trump, and that, uh, and that God would do a work in our nation. Can you say amen to that? So um, with that being said, there's, there's, there's a myth that is often repeated uh, and that myth is uh, that there is a separation of church and state and that the, the two should never mix. But if you study our country's history, uh, you'll find that the phrase separation of church and state is never found in any of our founding documents. It's not there. <laughs> it is not there. That phrase came from a letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote to the Danbury Baptist Association, assuring them that government would not try to interfere in church matters. It was not a policy saying that the church had no right to speak into government affairs. In fact, on the contrary, there, there, there's lots of history that shows us that the church has always been very active in speaking into government policy. And in fact, 29 of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence had seminary degrees according to today's standards. So the church has a long history of being directly involved in politics because laws and policies, they impact our lives just as they do any other citizen. Now let me preface my message today by saying this and. I mean it with all of my heart, and I, I urge every member of our church, no matter how passionate you are about your political views, please never allow them to cause you to be hateful towards someone else. As followers of Christ, even when we disagree, we should strive to do it in a way that is respectful and kind. 2 Timothy 2, in verse 23, look at this. Paul, the older mentor, writing to this young pastor, Timothy, says, Timothy, avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. How much of our social media is really just uh, foolish and ignorant disputes? 
that never change someone else's mind, never convince them that you're right and they're wrong. It just generates strife. Verse 24, And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, and patient in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. So he doesn't say you can't say anything, but it, it's gentleness, it's patience, it's humility. Correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. I'm not asking anybody in our church to lose your passion, and I'm not asking you to remain quiet. In fact, today I'm going to encourage you just the opposite. But when you do become vocal about an issue, please don't ruin your Christian witness in the process. Let me also say this. I have Republican friends and Democrat friends and, and Libertarian friends and Independent friends. And all of them are really good people. Sometimes we disagree on certain issues or the means we ought to use to address those issues. But just because someone disagrees with me does not make them an evil person. I'm going to say that again. Just because someone disagrees with me or you doesn't make them an evil person. They simply may have a different perspective than we do. So again, I urge our church to kind of pick up our forgotten virtues like honor and humility and kindness and offer them to people that we even disagree with. There are lots of issues we could talk about when the subject of politics rolls around. We could, we could talk about immigration and health care, gender issues and foreign policy and taxes and race relations and injustice. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. But do you realize we are now living in a culture and even right here in our church because we are a larger church and we've seen so many new believers and young believers come into the church, but many of them have no idea that the Bible actually speaks to all of these issues. And so what happens is, instead of forming our worldview, instead of forming our thoughts about something like immigration according to the Word of God, what happens is we've actually been discipled by the news media. We've actually been discipled by the late-night talk show host. Do, do, do you understand the reality of the world that we're living in right now? That, that many people are, are more discipled by Saturday Night Live than they are the Word of God. And, and so often when we're, we're trying to take the truth of the Word of God and, and, and combat some of the misinformation and the myths and the lies out there, that people can't even hear it, they can't even receive it because they just don't have that background. We are living in a post-Christian nation now. For many, many years, the, the foundation of our nation was, was built upon Christian and, and this what we would call this Judeo-Christian ethic that even if people didn't know a lot of Scripture, even if they didn't attend church regularly, there, there was kind of this baseline that we worked off of. But that baseline is gone. It has been erased. And so now we're, we're, just, we're just living in a culture that, that doesn't know the Word of God. Again, God's Word speaks to all these things, but... Last week, and concluding today, I have chosen a few topics that I, I think are of utmost importance. Last week we said that neither President Trump nor Joe Biden are probably going to win personality contests. 
probably not, like you're probably not inviting them to Thanksgiving and not asking them to watch your kids. Because both of them have really big personalities. Both of them can be divisive and, and a bit awkward. You know what they both are? They're both broken, sinful men, just like the rest of us. Can you say amen? And if I was running for president, someone would be up here talking and say, boy, that Dave Marsh is pretty divisive and a bit awkward. My wife said that this morning. But anyway, so when we're casting a vote, personality is not what matters most. Policy and party platform matter most because long after either one of these men are out of office, their policies are going to live on and impact our lives sometimes for decades. So last week we looked at the topic of family, and I believe that Scripture teaches that the backbone of any society is the traditional biblical family. I think that's, that's what the Bible teaches. Before there was ever a government, there was a marriage. Before there was ever a president, there was a mom. Before there was ever a governor, there was a dad. And, and history will show us that the healthiest, most prosperous cultures are the one that hold true to God's beautiful design of family, a dad, a mom, and children. Now, I know a lot of American families look different than that right now, but the answer, the answer to our, to our ills is not to continue to change and redefine God's design, but the answer is to go back to it. And it might take us a while, but it took us a while to get away from it. So little by little, we got to hold up that standard and, and, and let, let people know that, hey, this is God's gift to us. Family is God's gift to us. Government cannot meet the needs of 330 million people. It cannot happen. The go a government to do that would have to be so huge that we would lose every freedom that we've ever had. And it still wouldn't do a good job. How many can say M-V-A? So last week, I, I encouraged you to look at both party platforms. And for me, I vote for the one that best supports the biblical family. Now, for this week, I want to talk to you about two more issues. Number one would be the sanctity of life. And number two, religious freedom. Sometimes people accuse Christians of being single-issue voters, and that issue is almost always abortion. First of all, I would say it's simply not true that Christians are single-issue voters. We care about many issues, just like the rest of the nation does. But I will say this. There is no moral equivalent to abortion in our country today. Nothing compares to it. The reason I say that is because there are no other social justice issue that claims the lives of more people than abortion does. 2,400 per day. To, to put it in perspective, we are now sadly at 229,000 COVID deaths this year in the U.S., but abortion deaths will be 879,000, and that's just this year. That's 100 per hour. In the time that it takes us to have a church service, we will legally end the lives of 100 of our most vulnerable people. 
So when the topic of abortion leads a Christian's political conviction, that's exactly right. It should. Is, is there anything that compares to it? <laughs> is, is, are there any other means that we are snuffing out a hundred children per hour? There's no moral comparison. I know it's not the only issue we face. I know. But there's nothing that compares to it. Now, I do understand that some abortions happen in the case of rape or incest or extreme medical conditions. And listen, my heart goes out to any woman who would be faced with that situation. I'm not a person without compassion, and I hope you aren't either. But the fact is, those cases are less than 1%. Less than 1%. Joe Biden says this election is about restoring the soul of our nation. Until we stop killing our own children, we can't even claim to have a soul. We need to do better. And, and not just reducing abortions, okay? That's, that's not just what I'm, I'm talking about, not just in reducing them. Yes, we need to, but we need to do everything we can to encourage a culture of life in our nation. I'll give you an example. I want to give a shout out. We have many families within our church that are involved in foster care and adoption. They are being pro-life in that way. In fact, can we just let them know we appreciate the sacrifices that they're making? That, that's being pro-life too. And we put our money where our mouth is. This week we're making a $5,000 donation to a local organization that helps support these kids and these families. That's another way we're pro-life. And you might say, Pastor Dave, does the Bible actually speak to this issue? Yes, yes it does. In numerous places. Let's just look at a couple together. Psalm 139. And verse 13, for you, God, formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That, that, that means you're not an accident. God was, was involved in your creation. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. Verse 15, my frame, my body was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Verse 16, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. God not only formed us in our mother's womb, but he wrote our life story even while we're there. This speaks to us of God's personal involvement and destiny for every life, even in the womb. Jeremiah, he said this to Jeremiah the prophet in verse 5, Jeremiah 1.5, he says, before I formed you in the womb, who, who did the forming? God. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Jeremiah, I knew you. You mattered. You had purpose. You had destiny even before you were in the womb of your mother. And then before you were born, I sanctified you. That means I set you apart for a purpose. I ordained you a prophet 
to the nations. Again, these are just two passages, but the Bible is clear that life is precious and it's holy to our God. Now, let me also say this. If you've been involved in an abortion, either you had one or you encouraged one to, to, to take place or you paid for one, I don't condemn you today, but I do want you to know this. If you seek forgiveness, there is healing and there is restoration to be found in Jesus Christ. Our church is unapologetically pro-life, but we are also a people of love and compassion. Just last week, our camp was used for a retreat for people who have been impacted by abortion, a time for them to find healing. We, those retreats are held one to two times a year, and if you're interested in attending one, just reach out to our office, and we'll get you connected with the ministry that holds those. We're, we're not condemning people, but at the same time, we cannot embrace that practice. One of the pro-abortion arguments I've heard in recent years is, you know what, we have so many kids that are born into poverty that we, we can't guarantee that we can properly provide for them. Therefore, abortion is justified. Friends, poverty breaks my heart. Whether it's right here in, in, uh, in, in these mountains and hills and down into West Virginia or in the inner city of Baltimore, when you, when you drive through those places, man, you, you see what people are, are, are living like and, and, and what they, they don't have. And it, it ought to break your heart. But for you and I to decide who gets to live or die would be putting ourselves in the place of God. You might feel comfortable standing in that place, but I don't. And yes, it's true that we can't guarantee a great life for every child, but abortion guarantees their death and I cannot support that I want you to know where my political views come from they come from scripture when when I was a young man I didn't feel the way I feel now about a lot of things when <laughs> I can't even, I don't even want to tell you, but we used to do mock elections in school, and I'm telling you, I voted for some real humdingers. Okay? I, I didn't, it wasn't until I got into the Word of God and realized that it, it spoke to these things that, that some of my views began to change. And here's the deal. If, if we set aside Scripture, then everyone just does what's right for them. And that leads to chaos. We have to have an objective standard outside of ourselves, and that is God's Word. That's, so it, it, it's not just, you know, it's not my favorite political commentator who's shaping my worldview on things. It's the Word of God. And that should be the case for everyone who says they are a follower of Jesus. The last thing I want to talk to you about today is religious freedom. Our founders knew just how fragile religious freedom is. So the First Amendment to the Constitution states this, that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of the press or of speech or of the press or the right of people to peaceably assemble. Our founders never intended to establish a national church, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. 
but they also agreed that government should not pass laws prohibiting the free exercise of our religion. I don't need the government to adopt my religion or promote my religion, but I do desire them not to suppress it or oppress me for my faith. However, our culture is becoming increasingly hostile toward Christians and biblical values. Turn on the TV, watch a movie, watch a late night talk show host. You'll regularly find, not occasionally, regularly find that Christians are mocked and ridiculed. Jesus Christ has become a very common curse word or phrase in our day. Why is it that you never hear people cursing Muhammad or Buddha? It's only our Christ. We can also see this Christian opposition in the news media. Christians are almost always portrayed as backward, old-fashioned, ignorant, and intolerant. Even though there are hundreds of thousands of churches, great churches around our nation, serving their community, many of them doing awesome charity work, those stories are seldom told. As recently as this COVID crisis in the the initial days, Samaritan's Purse, a great charity led by Franklin Graham, was denied access to treat patients in New York City because of their stance on biblical sexuality. Now, this organization would never deny someone care because of their gender or sexuality. They have a long, many, many decades track record of providing excellent medical care, some of the best in the world. Eventually, they were allowed to set up somewhere else, but they underwent lots of criticism for their religious beliefs. Can you imagine being a political leader and you're in the middle of this crisis that at the time nobody really understood at all and we thought there's going to be bodies laying in the street and here comes a mobile hospital, some of the finest equipment and doctors and care in the world. They come and they say, we're here to help and they say, we don't want your help. because of their faith. A few years ago, Chick-fil-A was attacked because they affirmed traditional marriage. They didn't run a big campaign or anything like that. They were just asked, the, one, of the, one of the founders were asked, and, and he just re- replied that they affirmed traditional marriage. Do you know there are certain cities today and college campuses that you are not going to get yourself a buttery nugget because government officials have denied their right to put a restaurant there. It's not that Chick-fil-A won't serve people who feel differently than they do. It's, It's that we now live in an intolerant culture of anything deemed politically incorrect. A few years ago, Hobby Lobby had to go all the way to the Supreme Court because they did not want to provide certain types of contraception to their employees because of their religious convictions. They won that case, but they should have never had to litigate that in the United States of America. These are a few high-profile cases, but I could tell you about mom-and-pop businesses that have been put out of business because the heavy hand of government has come upon their religious beliefs. One Christian law firm currently has 300 of these cases they're working on right now. These are no longer isolated incidents. So while there is a first Amendment right to religious freedom, we're starting to see that come under fire here in America. 
So as you compare party platforms, I encourage you to pay close attention to how they treat the issue of religious freedom. Otherwise, you might be casting a vote against your own faith. At this time, I want to end our broadcast a little early because I want to talk to our in-person congregation a little more. But before we go off the air, will you join me and let's pray for our nation and for those who are listening. Father, we come before you today, and it is a, a somber time that we are living in. There are so many issues and so many opinions and so much rhetoric, and God, we need truth. We need truth. I pray for this nation. I pray, Lord, that as people continue to cast their votes this week, God, I pray for a quick resolution. I pray for a clear winner. I pray against violence of any kind. I pray against hatred. I pray against anger, Lord. I pray against the, the things that, that just stir up strife. God, I pray for peace in our nation. I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be convicted, that, that we, would, we would not complain about politicians while we ignore the sin in our own hearts. God, I pray that you draw each of us, Father, each of us closer and closer to you, Help us to, number one, to love you with all of our hearts. That means embracing your word, embracing your truth, and living it out. And then help us to love our neighbor as ourselves. Help us not to get those priorities backward, Father, but to put you first and then love our neighbor as ourselves. God, would you sweep across this land and would you draw every heart to you, Republicans, Democrats, independents, God, doesn't matter. Would you draw every heart to you? You are bigger than a political party. I thank you for that, Lord. Pray, Father, that your will would be done. And you said, Lord, that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord and you would turn it whichever way you'd have it to go. So, Father, regardless of the outcome that's, that's going to come soon, Lord, I pray that you would, you would lead our leaders by your Holy Spirit. You would fill them with the knowledge of your will. You would just give them revelation knowledge from your word, Lord, that they would rule in righteousness, God, that they would be led by you. And we give you thanks and we give you praise. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen.